0: An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Punisher, control! Hey, before I change
1: my mind! I give you Super Train! Oh, Episode
2: 443. Submission number... 130. What happens when a character dies? This is one of our classic deep dive episodes where we go over cases in which a notable character on a television series dies. What happens leading up to it? What happens afterwards? What happens to the star? And we've got a lot to go over here. I pretty much grouped them into two sort of categories. Character Dies, Show Keeps Going. And Character Dies, Show Ends. And the first entry that I have for Character Dies, Show Keeps Going is Ned Stark of Game of Thrones. Played by Sean Beam, of course. And this was... The first case of the show killing off people willy nilly.
1: But let's be quite honest if Sean Bean's in the cast of the show, you know at some point his character is going to die. Because his characters die in almost everything.
2: Yes, uh, fearing for his daughters, Ned makes a public confession of his treason. The sadistic Joffrey Baratheon, however, has Ned executed anyway for his own amusement and forced Sansa Stark to watch Ned's severed head mounted on a spike. This is where you learn people of great import are going to die on this show. Because if I'm not mistaken, Ned Stark was pretty high up in the Game of Thrones food chain, wasn't he?
1: I'm guessing I've never read any of the George R.R. Martin books.
2: So what happened to Sean Bean afterwards? The show continued on its hit trajectory, and Sean Bean has gone on to have a fruitful career, so nothing of value was lost, I guess.
1: Let's just say Ned Stark died, so Maisie Williams could have great success.
2: Another legendary character death, at least in as much as legendary character deaths from 80s-era comedies are concerned, Valerie
1: Hogan from the Hogan family. Or as it was called back then, Valerie. But then when her character was killed off, it was Valerie's family, the Hogan's. And then in like season four, it became the Hogan family.
2: Yeah, there's an interesting story. Valerie Harper, who was originally the driving force of this sitcom. This was her first big post-Rota role. She was going to juggle her career and raising three sons with an absent pilot husband. And then Valerie Harper wanted a little bit more money. Brandon Tarnikoff, who is programming chief of NBC at the time didn't like any of this drama going on and publicly stated that if the fighting did not cease between the production company Lorimar Television and Valerie Harper and her husband Tony Cacciotti, they were arguing about salary increases and a larger cut of future syndication revenue he is not afraid to recast he suggested Sandy Duncan as a replacement to Miller. That's Tom Miller and Bob Boyette. And Miller and Boyette were like, you know what? That's a good idea. Sandy Duncan has just signed a contract to star in something at NBC. And Miller and Boyette were looking for an end to this feud. So at the beginning of season three... Valerie Hogan was dead, and the show continued for another four years. And, of course, Valerie Harper still had a career to this day.
1: Until her passing a couple years ago.
2: Next one is a fairly recent example. Idris Elba, in The Wire, playing Stringer Bell, went on to become one of modern television if not television history's most shocking, character deaths. He was, like, one of the uh, main characters during the first three seasons of The Wire. And this was, like, before anybody knew Idris Elba as Luther. And, frankly, before HBO got in the habit of killing off major characters. Chad Coleman, who was also on The Wire, had this to say about it about characters who die they all have a connection to me but early on when they killed off idris alba and the wire i realized anything was possible from that point on everywhere i went i would think to myself okay just remember they killed off idris we even have a conversation interested myself prior to that with me going no way man they're not going to do that no way so after that i was always in the back of my head and i realized you are here for a good time not a long time. So make an impact. I guess this was like the impetus for killing people in the name of narrative. As opposed to killing people because they want off the show or killing people just to fire them. Another show that was really good about doing that, that would be killing people in the name of narrative, Grey's Anatomy. They killed off multiple people. They killed Meredith Gray's little sister, Lexi, played by Kyler Lee. They killed T.R. Knight's character, Georgia O'Malley. And much to the dismay of middle-aged Thursday night female viewers everywhere.
1: Oh, yeah. They killed off McDreamy. That was a rough time in America. Everyone was mourning the loss of McDreamy.
2: Nobody could possibly kill McDreamy. I mean, look at him. I mean, come on. You wouldn't kill this guy. But sure enough, season 11, episode 21. And it wasn't so much, you know, a thing over time. He was hit by a truck. And one of the earliest deaths was Denny Duquette. Season 2, episode 27, played by Jeffrey Dean Morgan. He was on a wait list for a heart transplant and it never quite
1: made it. Oh. Or Jeffrey Dean Morgan.
2: But all of these people would, you know, go on to
1: bigger and better things. So we're not going to cry over that. Oh, but the next one, Chico. This is oh. probably when you think of character depths the biggest one of them all. James Evans of Good Times
2: the origin of this is that who is the breakout character in Good Times? Don't say Mike Evans. Oh, JJ. Yeah. JJ is the breakout character, but the thing of it is Esther Roll and John Amos were in this show about you know, a family grounded in reality because, hey, It's a Norman Lear show. Of course, it's going to be grounded in reality and grounded in the times and all of that. And then you have director John Rich who decided he was going to develop JJ's character because he's the guy who tests well with the audience. Never mind the fact that both of the parents think of him as a buffoon. As the role, she was vocal about her hate of the character now, if you remember, she did take a season off, but she did come back. John Amos, even more outspoken about his dissatisfaction, he said in an interview with the Los Angeles Times, the writers would prefer to put a chicken hat on JJ and have him prance around saying, dino bite!" And that way they could waste a few minutes and not have to write meaningful dialogue. He was more angered about his role in the scheme of things, but he was less public about it. But after season three, he was fired due to disagreements with Norman Lear. When it happened back in 1976, he was like, I want to focus on a film career. But he admitted Norman Lear called him and told him his contract option was not being renewed. That's the same thing as being fired, he said. So, season four began with the big move. And at the end of part one, because everybody's ready to welcome James back from Mississippi, they find out that James was killed in an automobile accident. I just remember watching the reruns of that episode and it was like, She not seem shocked at all through part two but then that pivotal scene
1: damn, damn damn oh I give Esther a lot of credit she gave her heart out throwing that salad ball to the ground
2: but Greg you probably know more about this one more than I do it is Murray Goldberg as played by Jeff Garland
1: I mean, I'm not really a big Goldberg guy, but it's my understanding they just killed Murray Goldberg off because Jeff Garland had, well, incidents. We'll just say that. And, like, they wrote around his character, like, near the end of the series. And, of course, we alluded to it in one of the year-end review shows. That terrible-ass CGI Jeff Garland, which is nightmare fuel. Mike, would you agree that's Nightmare Fuel?
0: It looked like it was PS2 or PS3 quality graphics in a PS5 world. It was horrible.
1: It was. And eventually the people at the Goldbergs were like, eh, let's just kill the character off. And they did. The next entry here... Oh, this is great. Uh, Yeah. What Le- can like read- I say? Let me read this, okay? Please do. In the sheet... Of the rundown, it says South Park, Kenny McCormick, dot, 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 repeatedly.
2: It almost got to the point where we have to talk about why they stopped killing Kenny every episode.
1: Yeah, because Trey Parker and Matt Stone knew Kenny was a breakout character. Based on the fact he died in every episode, and the next episode would start, and everyone would act like he didn't die. And it got to a point where it's like... Oh, God. We have to keep coming up with ways for him to die. Let's just make an episode where we, like, finally kill him off for good. And I remember the episode laughing my ass off. Like, they're acting like he's really gonna die. Laughing like, ha ha ha. That's hilarious, because he always dies. And then for, like, a season, they actually, like, stuck by that. Until the last episode of the next season where they basically pulled a Bobby Ewing and he just randomly shot. What was it, Mike? Was it the Santa Claus goes to Iraq episode?
0: I don't remember the specific episode.
1: But I do remember it was a Christmas episode. And then at the end, it's like, oh, hi, Kenny. Where were you? He's like, who's the Santa over there? And so when he came back, it's like, whenever Kenny died from that point off, they, like, made it special. Like, they'd have, like, many episodes where he didn't die. But when he actually did die, it would be, like, like an event. Like, the most notable death I can think of is, like, the WTF wrestling episode of South Park where he was El Polio Loco and he died in a fireworks explosion. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. That was great. And then they made him dying like a part of his Mysterion superhero character. Really? Yeah. If you play the South Park game, it's like a big thing about how he doesn't die. Like, at all. Like, he's immortal.
0: Also, there is an episode of South Park. I forget which one it is. I remember the B plot was Kenny was trying to uh, have his mother uh, miscarry because... uh, She was pregnant with another kid, and he didn't want the competition. And Kenny died, and then at the end of the show, the baby was born, and it looked just like Kenny. And there was a comment made between the mom and the dad, you know, we should name him Kenny. And uh, uh, one of the parents, I think the dad said, we better make sure that he doesn't die or something to that extent. Because he's died like 47 times, and the mom chimes in, actually 48 (laughs) so they actually did keep count of how many times Kenny died I thought that was brilliant
2: so from that we go to the NASCAR track and Maude Flanders on the Simpsons they couldn't get Maggie Roswell back to voice the character many viewers and this is according to the Simpsons fandom page they were getting ready to just land base the show for killing off a popular character the reason why they killed off Maud in particular, and this is Matt Grading talking, they want to open up new storylines after Marsha Mitzvig-Gaven was brought in to voice the characters that Maggie Roswell voiced due to her moving to Colorado, making it difficult to continue her roles on the show. This was season 11. Before, but... before working remotely. Before working remotely, yes. But Maggie Roswell would return to the show, but she only voices Maud when she appears as a ghost or in flashback. So they killed off Maud Flanders because the voice actress couldn't voice her anymore. Then when the voice actress returns, she plays Maud Flanders' ghost?
1: Ghost! Perhaps even more controversial than that, though! Brian Griffin on Family Guy. Now, this is a death when it happened. I said, this is bullshit. This is going to be, like, retconned in, like, a season. And sure enough, it was.
0: Not even in a season, though. It was four episodes.
2: But still, they went as far as to make a new opening with a new dog played by Tony Sirico. I loved him, but he was no Brian. I don't even remember who he is. Vinny.
0: Vinny, thank
2: you. Probably made out that way because Stewie went back in time and erased all of that happening.
0: Well, he didn't really erase all that happening. What he did was he went to the point right before when Brian died. And just for a little bit of background, they were playing street hockey, Brian and uh, Stewie. And uh, there was a reckless driver who didn't slow down. Stewie got out of the way, Brian didn't, and Brian perished. So Stewie went back in time right before time that the driver caused this incident and basically yanked Brian out of the way. And that's how history got changed. Or maybe not history got changed, but how we didn't lose Brian, even though we did lose Brian for, like I said, four episodes. Imagine if you
2: had a hit sitcom, it got canceled, but then it was brought back with new episodes some 20 years later. That's what happened to Roseanne. Got canceled. They brought it back. I could talk about Dan Connor, but per the show, that never happened. That was all a dream. That was a good year. The reboot Had a good first year. And they were getting ready for year two. And then Roseanne forgot the key rule of social media. Just because you can say something doesn't necessarily mean you should. She said something. ABC caught wind of it and fired her. So we have Roseanne without Roseanne. What do we do? Hey. Hey. We'll just center it around Sarah Gilbert's character and call it The Connors," And it still airs to this day. Roseanne, not so much. And now we get to the two big character dies, show keeps going moments. The first one happened on MASH. And it involves the patron saint of this podcast, McLean Stevenson. Henry Blake getting ready for whatever's going on in the future as he gets ready to leave Korea and head back to the States. And then that pivotal scene that only Gary Berghoff was privy to. Corporal Henry Blake's plane was shot over the Sea of Japan. It spun in. There are no survivors. That was season three. MASH went
1: hard as hell. And then right after that, they got Henry Morgan. And the rest was history. And according to
2: the powers that be, creators Larry Gelbart and Gene Reynolds, they wanted Henry Blake dead to show the true horrors of war. They said they received countless fan complaints about the final fate, but the creators stood by their decision and they were right to do so. I think because again, what's that old saying war is hell. And then you have on all in the family, the death of Edith Bunker because Gene Stapleton was the comic foil to Archie Bunker and Carol O'Connor they had great chemistry they had great interplay and all of a sudden Edith Bunker was gone so why did this happen according to Gene Stapleton she wanted to pursue other projects believing that the Edith Bunker character ran its course and that just left a normally crass, and brazen Archie Bunker incredibly crestfallen. And, you know, after this, Carol O'Connor and company would move on to Archie Bunker's place, which continues the saga of the Archie Bunker character in a new setting, this bar, and with new people, most notably a pre-New Radicals Danielle
0: Brisebois. And also, it should be added, obviously, Archie Bunker's place was a bar, and that was Archie Bunker's new profession. So not only do you lose a character in uh, Edith Bunker, but also you now have Archie starting a new career. And nothing against that show, because it did run for four seasons, maybe four semi-unspectacular seasons, but it still kept that character going.
2: And, you know, as long as there is television, there are going to be characters who die and the show will keep going. We have a whole lot more people. You have your Prue Hallowells, your Marissa Coopers, your Bobby Simonses, your Tim Speedles, your Dr. Mark Greens. But this is a good start. And then you have characters who die when the show ends. One of the most notable, Walter White who was, let's be honest, dying when the show began. They basically said, like right in the first episode, like, oh, he's going to die. The only thing we can do is keep him alive as long as possible to, you know, cook. And then you have perhaps one of the most controversial endings of death in the last 20 or so years, Tracy McConnell's death on How I Met Your Mother. If you don't know who Tracy McConnell is, first of all, how dare you? Second of all, she's the mother. We didn't know that this was going to happen when season one began. We just knew how this story would end. It's like, this story's going to end with Ted meeting the mother. We didn't know that season nine was just going to be this season-long mind trip. I mean, you have... Stuff happening that weekend, stuff happening in the past, stuff happening in the future, stuff happening in the further future. We get closer to the year 2030 when this show actually happens. And then all of a sudden, the big secret that Lindsay Fonseca and David Henry have been hiding for seven years yeah, the mother,
1: she's dead. Although I think season eight kind of hinted that she was going to die. Cause I think there's like one episode where it basically hints that. So I went through like the final season already knowing that she's probably dead.
2: Are you talking about the uh, 45 days sort of monologue that Ted's giving? Yes. I loved that monologue by the way.
1: Oh, that was great acting by Josh Radner there. That was a great moment.
2: And then we have Nate Fisher of Six Feet Under. He and everybody else on the cast die at the end. I mean, we get the fast forward of all the main characters dying, complete with your white screen, with your uh, character name and the years they lived. You know what I'm talking about, right, guys?
1: Yes, I know what you're talking about. But Peter Krause's character of... Nate Fisher didn't he like mumble, like numb arm, and then he all of a sudden died? He mumbled, My arm's numb, numb
2: arm, numb arm, numb arm. And you would think that here is a show about death, people would be numb to this. But again, this is a show that began with Nate Fisher's dad dying, so it begins with a Fisher death. It ends with a Fisher death.
1: Oh, hey, speaking of people that were on Six Feet Hunter, Michael C. Hall's character of Dexter in that reboot season, I can't believe this because this was news to me when I saw the rundown for this episode. His character dies at the end of the reboot season. And he says
2: that this is the first time I'm feeling love, and it's for my son, and that's as human As I've ever been. Because if you remember. Dexter is a bit of a. uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Psychopath.
1: Oh yeah he's a killer. But he's a good killer.
2: And the thing of it is. It's like he doesn't die just to die. He dies so his son Harrison. Didn't have to live with his shame. It was a bit of a shock that happened. But it was a necessary shock. That's pretty much. What happens when a notable character from one of your favorite shows shuffles off their mortal coil? The story continues or the story ends? It all depends on what the narrative calls for and what's available at the time. Sometimes it just happens, but when a beloved character dies, it makes for a very memorable thing on TV. Okay, you know what? We've been talking about all of this Demir stuff. Can we, you know, lighten the mood a bit?
0: It's time for this weekend match game. Hollywood Square. Our history.
2: Oh, yeah, that'll do it.
0: So now we're in the second week of... January of 1984, week 11. We've been doing this 11 weeks now. Oh, my gosh. The celebrities this week are Mark Russell, Anson Williams, Mary Paige Keller, Leonard Fry, Pat McCormick, Jenny Lee Harrison, Phil Proctor, and Sybil Danning. Now, we did have a player retire this week undefeated. Victoria Narbutis retired with $46,200. And we talked last week about the total dry streak at winning on Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. We said the show had gone nine episodes without a win in the head-to-head match. The last win being the Tom Poston coma episode, if you will. We actually had four out of five head-to-head winners this week. We had a $30,000 win on Tuesday of this week. We had a $30,000 win on Tuesday a $20,000 win on Friday, and on Thursday we had a $10,000 win. And what's interesting about all of them is that it was with John Bauman. So apparently, John Bauman was the good luck charm for that week. And actually, if you watch the episodes as we go down the line, John Bauman is called very frequently for the super match for whatever reason. And I wonder if the powers that be recognize this and said, hey, Let's make sure we don't give John the 30 all that often because, you know, we don't want to kill the budget. In future months, I'll get a little deeper into that because I noted some stuff about how frequently John had the 30 as we get into later months into like April and May of 1984. So that's this week in Match Game Hollywood Squares history. Next week, it's going to be a good week. I know what's coming up next week, and I can't wait to see what's going to happen then but I want to
1: mention one thing Mike and this is going to be something we're going to look forward to in two months a show has just premiered on NBC that I hold very dear and you know what that is
0: a show's premiering in two months on NBC that you no
1: no no, a show's premiering right now that's going to pay off in two months on NBC for Match game out of Squares.
0: I think I know what you're talking about that's right we are talking about Riptide right yes Okay, I, I didn't know if you were talking about Hot Potato. I didn't know if you were talking about Night Court. There's so many shows. He that wasn't NBC... talking
1: about Night Court, you silly goose.
0: Hey, you sit down. We'll talk to you next week. But for now, let's go back to Chico to end this crazy episode.
2: That's going to do it for this episode. Remember, you can always go to our website at TV.com. You can listen to the 442 episodes that preceded this one. All sorts of great bonuses, including mini-sodes, live shows, extended versions. We just recorded a before-the-show show. Take a listen to that. Remember, we're on all social media at itwasathingontv except for Facebook where we're at. It was a thing on TV podcast, and if you're looking for us on Mastodon, we are at it was a thing on TV at tvwatch.party. Subscribe to the podcast wherever fine podcasts can be streamed, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, iHeart, Audible, you name it, we are there. Don't forget we're also on YouTube. You can like, subscribe, hit that notification bell so you can stay informed on all future uploads, including what we have coming up next time. And if you thought this episode was dark, all of these are fictional characters. Next time we do an even deeper dive on what happens when the star dies. And believe you me, there's a story behind every one of the entries we have planned. You're going to want to take a listen to the next episode. Of It Was a Thing on TV. For Greg, for Mike, I'm Chico. Thank you ever so much for listening. Please be kind to one another. And we will see
1: you for the next one. Wow. Now wait a minute, guys. I think we're forgetting about somebody. I
0: really don't want to talk about it. Oh my god! Oh yeah. Not another Pulaski episode. Listen, there's
1: no truth to the rumor that she was a relative of Pulaski. Michael Okuda said so. There's no truth to that rumor. Mm.